Hello, everyone. We're live. So today, um, Sarah and I are delighted to be joined by Nigel Walsh, um, former Deloitte and Capgemini, and is now MD uh, for insurance at Google. So a very warm welcome to you, Nigel. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. Yeah, and Brilliant. also, yeah, go on. <laughs> I was just making a comment about the Peloton, huge Peloton fan, if anyone's wondering what the cycling thing is in there. So. Oh, yeah, so there's going to be plenty of Peloton cake and uh, umbrella. Is that because it's going to rain in the UK or because you want to – is it a parasol for holidays? <laughs> no, no, well, it's a, good, it's a good shout, but actually umbrella is a good way of saying you're covered for insurance. So many a famous insurance brand has an, has an umbrella to show that you're covered. So I've got cycling. Oh cake and insurance which is today's agenda right well yeah. exactly <laughs> so I, i've learned something already but uh, yeah so uh, obviously uh, we now know what you do top level but it would be great to uh, to share your, your social media journey like what got you into social media and um and uh and where you are now yeah i mean it's uh, god how long have we got so social media for me I, as you'll as you'll get to know and for those that know me online i'm quite shy and reserved um, and like, like you've had from many other guests, your personality very much um, replicates what you say and do online as to uh, what, what you say and do in person. So social media for me has been one of those things that over the last, I'm going to say 10 years or so, because it feels like it's been about that long, um, has just started to grow and grow and grow, almost to the stage now where it's almost too much. You know, there's just so much going on, it's hard to work out where you spend your time and energy. And like many of your other guests on here, I've, I've almost segmented out my social journeys into things that are private just for me, um, public, they can be jumping into a conversation and more professional. And I think the networks do a really good job of segmenting themselves into different groups. So I've always said to people, you know, LinkedIn is the, it feels like the de facto business network where you go, you know, what, what did recruiters do before LinkedIn? I don't know, but, but everything's on there, your history, your profile. Before you meet someone, after you meet someone, you're always likely to go, hey, what's their LinkedIn profile? Just to see who they are and what they do. So it's really, really, really interesting to see. On the um, Twitter side, I always make that more like jumping into a coffee shop and you're standing in a queue. Who do you bump into? And you can always jump into a conversation and as quickly as you're in, quickly leave quite quite quickly uh, quite nicely as well and then there's the private networks and i'm things like facebook for me is purely you know your, your friends you went to school with your friends you you hang around with as as, as individuals my mum and dad are on there and everyone talks about facebook be for older people like my, my kids think i'm an older person um and then instagram, and i'm i'm not really an instagram guy at all it's definitely on the private side i don't have anything on there at all that you would um in fact it's close so unless you unless you're uh, following me directly and I've accepted you because you're a close personal friend, then I don't really use it for work whatsoever. So I've done a very good job of segmenting each one of those things into different buckets. And then of course we can't have a social conversation without mentioning things like Spaces or Clubhouse and all these new audio networks that are coming downstream. So, and I think it's been really interesting over the last 12 months why we've all sat at home um, in, in and during the pandemic. So. That's almost my journey over those years is as those networks have developed, I've got into one of them, tried them out, worked out where it fits in my personal life cycle, and then work out where and how I use it best. 
How how do you um, divide your time up then, roughly? If you said out of one of those social networks, would you say like 50% of your time's in LinkedIn or how do you, you know, prioritise which one? Or do you just end up, you, you're big on Twitter, you're on there a lot. I mean, is that your... <laughs> I, I love Twitter. It's, I don't know about you, but it's just addictive, right? Because you can jump into conversations and you can learn, you can engage. I like Twitter for a conversation. Mm. And that can be, you know, before we were chatting, it, it could be about fitness. It could be about baking. It could be about um, issues that are going on in society at any one moment in time. You know, it's great to see people's view of the vaccines or um, what's going on in the police or news. I mean, it, Twitter really is my news source. If I want to go and get anything, I go to there first and foremost. Whereas LinkedIn for me operates at a different pace. It's much more, if I'm writing something that's long form, as in I've written an article or a blog post, or I'd like people to engage on a broader topic where I need, need people to read, you know, a couple of paragraphs, I'll go straight to uh, straight to LinkedIn. And I think what I what I read, um, I know that at Analytica, we, uh, we published an interview uh, uh, with you, uh, sort of a couple of years back, and uh, and the interesting thing that you said, you're being in in sure tech, you know, being uh, influential in that space, is, uh, and I think I'm right in saying that everyday experiences, you know, spark off ideas in your professional life as well. So yeah. I, so I guess being, it would be fascinating to understand a bit about because insurance, you know, to to people outside of insurance seems quite a traditional slow moving industry but obviously the tech and the digital transformation and the everyday experiences are, are, are sort of really changing that i imagine so uh, it would be good to to listen into like how you approach social media and then how you apply it uh, to business ideas it's really funny actually and i say funny i think james will be very upset with you tim now um i i your, your attitude and commentary about insurance is what we see day in day out genuinely I have been on this, it feels like lifelong mission over the last decade or so to make insurance lovable. I truly believe, and I know you're both smiling away now, which is exactly the reaction I want people to, to feel when we talk about making insurance lovable, because we don't traditionally love it. I can't go to my wife and go, hey, I'm going to go buy new house insurance. Isn't that exciting? Because generally not many people get excited by it. You do get excited by, you know, I want to buy new pet insurance to make sure that one of the 3.2 million dogs that we've got in lockdown in the UK is now looked after. Well, who'd you go to for that? There's some great insurtechs like Bought by Many out there uh, and many others that bring the passion and enthusiasm for the thing that you love to life. And for me, that's insurance. So I don't, get, I'll be clear, I don't get too excited about insuring my fridge, but the things that I do <laughs> love, right? The things I do love, I really enjoy working through. So one of the things I like about Twitter is those everyday experiences that I used to get through my commute, through jumping on the train, getting on a plane, bumping into people. I don't know about you guys. I could sit in a coffee shop for hours and watch the world go by. And just through that, seeing the world rather than where we are now, stuck in each other's um, living spaces and rooms, I used to go, how does that affect insurance? What does it do? And it always give me ideas. So I'm on Twitter a lot at the moment because I'm always working out what people are talking about, what's what's important to them, how they will engage. And if you look at the Twitter chat right now around travel, return to air flights, um, holidays is a big topic right now on Twitter. How does that affect insurance? And those things for me are always inspiration topics to go, actually, what's my next post? How do I write about this and bring it back to 
you know, what does it, what does it mean for insurance? I don't think anyone will go on holiday again and not buy travel insurance without thinking, am I covered for COVID? What do I need from a vaccine passport perspective? Is that country safe? Where do I go to get the most relevant and real information? So bringing all those together for me is re a really quite exciting topic that is underpinned by the opportunity to play around in insurance. Well, I think right. what you've, yeah, well, from from my perspective, what you've outlined there is that you're you're listening on social, and you you, and this is something that I've been writing about as well, which is you're getting inspired by topics and trends and themes that are happening in the market, and then thinking, okay, how does that impact? And and that that is sort of classic influence and thought leadership. I, you know, some people don't like that term, but you know, that is taking. Is having an opinion about a trend or a theme um, that experts then can interpret that into their own language and how that impacts their role and what they do. Um, what's the medium for getting that across? Because I know you write blogs and long form content. Have you, you know, what about video and, and things like that? Have you dabbled yeah. in that kind of content? I, I've done a few, but I'm terrible on video. I'm, I'm always getting very <laughs> conscious of it. And people talk about imposter syndrome. I still, there's, there's elements of this that I find really nervous and um, really, I get worried. I get, you know, you get, you get your sweaty palms sometimes you go, I'm now live, uh, live LinkedIn, whatever. And I think to people, it's just normal, right? But if you found the topic that you're passionate about and that you have an opinion on, be proud to go talk about it. And if you don't know the answer, it's actually okay to go, I don't know the answer. There is some amazing people in the, in the insurance world that can talk to you to the nth level of detail. I think our role and my job is very much taking that nth level of the detail and then converting that into the narrative that allows you to make it applicable and understandable by everyone. So I always, you know, I've got a young, uh, young kids. I've got a 12 year old son and an, uh, an eight year old daughter. And if anyone, anyone who's got young kids, well, will have been through the phase of why, why, why the thousand times, you, you know, this, right? Yes. But, but I, but I, love that, I love that curiosity. How do we take that curiosity and take it to a topic like insurance that Tim has now proven he loves so much and convert that into a narrative that allows everyone to engage. So for me, that's super exciting to go, actually, now take those in-depth things, turn it into a narrative that people get, and then put it out in the format that people like. So I do LinkedIn, as you said. I do less video. People like Robin Kiera at Digital Scouting, does a, he's just brilliant. He's on TikTok. He's on video. He is more energetic than I am. You think I'm... Uh, quiet, shy and reserved. Robin is even more quiet, shy and reserved. Um, but I also do the podcast with 11FS, which is, uh, they've just dominated the FinTech and InsureTech space in that way. So I love it. David Brewer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Uh, my co-host on InsureTech Insiders is Sarah Kachansky. It's a love, I want to say with the uh, Cara Swisher and Scott Galloway of the insurance world, Sarah will probably kill me. Um, <laughs> no doubt Scott and, uh, and Cara will as well, but it's, it's just a good way to discuss what's in the news, what's exciting, and, and as you're doing, highlighting others that are doing a great job in the insurance and insurtech space. Yeah, I think I, I think what's what's amazing about that, and I also um, I watched a video of uh, Simon Sinek. You probably uh, have watched some of his stuff. He said it's good to be the idiot, and his point was, um, don't try and be the expert. Try and try and actually translate from the experts that people don't understand what they're saying actually to the the broader world. So it's good to not be so expert that you get lost in the detail and make it relevant. So I think what what's coming across really strongly is that 
you stay relevant, you listen to the trends and you try and be the middleman to then actually have those conversations. You've obviously built up a really good audience and driving really good engagement, uh, achieving that. Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm super qualified for his first comment. I won't repeat it in case you capture that on camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like I'm super qualified. You know, I get my wife to read stuff. I've had my son read stuff to go, does this make sense to you? Because I wanted, I wanted to be able to not get too lost in my own world and go, here's why it's really important. I was chatting to someone earlier today and they said to me, what, what does these um, acronyms mean? And I realized I was talking in jargon. And I've been around technology for so long you end up sometimes talking in TLAs, uh, <laughs> and you sit yourself, my God, if my mum listened into this, she'd look at me and go, what, what were you saying? So it's almost, don't be afraid to step back from it all and explain these things bit by bit so that you actually include everyone rather than exclude people because they don't know topics. But equally, there's nothing wrong with then surrounding yourself with experts that, you know, if it's a, an actuary or an underwriter or someone in claims, there are people that know their domain and are as passionate about me or you or Sarah in telling the story in their individual part. For me, it's about how do you then bring it all back and tell the bigger picture and work out where everyone fits in that bigger picture. And that's the thing that I get most joy from is, is almost the narrative and the storytelling and joining the dots. That's cool. You mentioned uh, there was something there about making insurance lovable. And the reason I smiled is because you have that in your LinkedIn profile. But before that, you've got, don't sell me this, don't sell me that. <laughs> and in talking to you, you can absolutely hear you saying that. So you almost like type that out into your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> don't connect uh, me. If you uh, <laughs> you must it, have had some fun. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I think it's really important because A, we're all smiling here. But B, as Danielle said previously, um, on, on your show, it's about bringing your personality to life. And if you saw me in a coffee shop or whatever else, and you came up to me and say, hey, Nigel, would you like a dad? Would you like to solve your dad bod or fix the fact you're losing your hair here or whatever else? I'm going to politely say, no, thank you very much. Um, and this is the balance of social. Social, it's exhausting sometimes, right? Because everyone always asks you for help. And I love helping people. I've also got a day job and my day job is, working within Google Cloud to help bring that to, to organizations. But I want to help people. I want to help the industry. And if I can, I will spend an amount of time each day paying it forward. I'm a great believer of, you know, give before you get. But what I don't need is an offshore development center, is, uh, you know, tailoring for a suit. I still laugh at those because, frankly, I've been in a hoodie for about a year. So I'd love to work with you. Um, you know, it's, but it's all these things where you don't, you don't know if they're bots or not. I just put it on the top to go, hey, I'm not interested in these things. Thank you very much. The ones that make me laugh, though, are the people that still write to me and say, hey, I'm not selling you pizza, but I've done this, this, and this. Would you be interested in? Now, you know what? That, to me, gets my attention because they've read it. They've actually said and sat there and gone, you know, when people say, say to you, we'd like to know more about your organization, I've always said, hey, check out Deloitte.com or check out Google.com slash cloud or cloud.google.com. It's a great place to start. We would never go and see a customer, a friend, go on a date without looking someone up and going, I want to know more about you. Because, you know, if, if I go back 20 years before I was married or whatever else, and I was being set up with a friend, they'd say, you'd like Nigel, he's quiet, shy and reserved. So they give you some, they give you some insights. So you want to find out what you can before you make that cold approach. I feel it's lazy, actually, if I'm being really honest. It's just don't be lazy in your approach. So um, so obviously you come through as very 
so genuine in the same personality offline and, and online, which is great. Um, how how have you, I'd love to know, you know when you decided to really go for it in social media and how you how you built up your audience and and also then like how you've inspired others or, or whether you've been like a maverick in your sector with other people not really following suit i think the you you'd be surprised i'm sure you're not actually now having seen me i am one of the small wallflowers of many individuals in the industry that are passionate about what we do i mean insurance is a you know, 300 year old industry that has been sharing information is built on data, doesn't manufacture anything. So you can see yourself quite quickly. It's absolutely prime for bringing to the foray um, and allowing you to share in a very, very different way. My, um, my journey started, I was actually looking the other day, A, preparing for this, but B, because someone else asked about Knight Rider. So back to experiences, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> I love 1980s TV. I'm I'm 45 year old man. Okay, I'm, and I don't look it. Comments later. Um, <laughs> there you go there. Um, but I love. I grew up watching Night Rider in the 80s. Yeah. Now Sarah Kachansky has got this lovely phrase that says something along the lines of, um, "We've got self-driving cars and drones," which, when you think about it, is well, that's really cool. But Night Rider, Michael Knight and Kit and everything else, he always talked to his watch. And the car was driving itself. Fast forward 30-ish years, and here we are with self-driving cars, watches you can talk to, devices in your house you can say, hey, what's the time or whatever else it might be, um, and so much other stuff. So they're all real-life experiences. I think one of my first articles, Tim, was all around um, what is the future of self-driving cars and automation and engagement from experiences like that. So by watching TV, I found something that I thought, oh, what's the link to insurance? So I'm also, dare I say, a really bad movie buff. As in, I love watching really bad movies. <laughs> but we've all seen Minority Report. Must Minority Report is a bad, bad movie, but I love Minority Report. But it's 20 years old. Is it? Wow. No way. It's about, don't quote, it's about 20 years old. But you see what he's doing with the AI and the precogs and the preventative stuff. There's almost an insurance story that I can drag out of absolutely anything to go, why has that taken so long? So I'm now watching sci-fi movies to go, is that insurance in 10 years' time, 5 years' time, or 20 years' time? Yeah. So, so, so to answer your question, I got involved a long time ago, started writing um, short-form blogs when I was at Capgemini. Um, they I thought you were going to say while you were watching Knight Rider. <laughs> you were I, paying, paying it forward uh, about 15 years i was definitely about seven then tim you know this already um, <laughs> but but they, but they stick in my memory because I, you know and actually you reminded me but i really want to I, re, I really want to play those back to my son and my, and my kids at some point and go hey this is what it was like back then but of course it's normal these days i mean they, they wouldn't think twice to not talk to their watch or even engage a search engine via voice as opposed to actually Doing what, doing what we do and type in, that's just odd. Why would you do that? Um, so there's loads of things that have changed or evolved over time. And I love going back to those to bring out experiences for, for insurance. The, the second part to your question is about how do you inspire others? It, it's really interesting. I've had this at Google Cloud. I've had this extensively at, at Deloitte and they were a fantastic supporter of this, is we go to a meeting, we, you know, and we've all done this over the last, I'm gonna say ignore the last year to some extent, but that moment between 
the entrance hall, going through security, going up in the lift, the small talk. What is it we do then? How was your weekend? Sarah, how's your training going for your half marathon? Oh, those those trainers are really clean still, Sarah. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> but but all that sort of talk, where has that gone? And I think you can take that and elements of that and put that onto Twitter. And I get that Twitter isn't for everyone. I also get the safety in numbers. So one of the things that I've coached people on over the last uh, couple of years is if you're not comfortable writing your own post or blog or whatever else, then do it with someone else. Do it with a partner, do it with a customer, do it with a colleague. Um, there's loads of ways to do it where you can actually get the safety of, hey, we've written this and you learn so much from each other by doing it side by side. D dare I say, Tim, if this is you and I, it'd be quite a you know a one-to-one -one conversation, but we've got the three of us, it makes it a nice conversation together. So you can have, I think, a group come together to start doing those in very, very different ways that gives the confidence to people over time. Some of my favorite notes I get from people were, you know, Nigel, you encouraged me to write about this. Someone asked me about testing a long time ago. And I, won't, I won't name her. She was nervous about writing a post. And I said, just start. What's the worst that can happen? I'll happily review it. I'll happily comment on it. Uh, I'll happily give you air cover if that's what you feel that you need. But we don't review your words before you sit in a meeting with us. We take you there as an expert um, contributor. So why would we do the same online? And I've got a bunch of golden rules, you know, that were things like don't have anything that would bring the firm or your own personal brand into disrepute. I teach this to my 12-year-old. My, my, my I say, you know, as you're commenting on stuff, don't ever have things that would be used or seen negatively by other people. I think this is really important in this day and age where we've all got, you know, digital footprints. So it's back to the it's been a tough year. Be kind to everyone. The, the social place can be quite hard to be into an argument very, very quickly. And I think they only go one way, spiral down. So I'm very, as an insurance guy, I will make you laugh. I'm quite risk adverse in this way. So I'll happily, everyone's got their opinion. Everyone happy to express it. And if it's, if it's turning into a, a debate or whatever else, then I'll happily step away from it and go, hey, happy to have this debate in, in, in a different guise. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's a really cautious space to be sometimes. Yeah, and I, I would imagine in a regulated industry, you have got to be careful a little bit, you know, working with financial insurance, just the wording in a tweet can be the difference between a financial promotion and not. Um, so, I mean, so it's quite interesting to hear you talk about this, because I think that's where a lot of employees get a bit stuck and they're, they're a bit nervous about being on social. And that's not even in a regulated industry. They are absolutely terrified about saying the wrong thing. Um, and it's 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 a, a risk. So I, I don't know what your perspective is on that and what guidance you, you give to employees around that. I think firms like mine now and previously have done a brilliant job of creating guardrails that will help protect individuals and protect the brand. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was Cap Gemini that said it takes, you know, 45 years to create the brand, but in seconds it can be destroyed. And that's very true. So uh, we've all seen bad behaviour from employees on uh, on LinkedIn, on Twitter and elsewhere, it's just don't be that individual, right? And it's, um, there's enough support out. That's why I said, you know, you can write in numbers. If you write with a partner, Sarah, unless you, you and I co go and co-write something, if I said something out of turn or wasn't, didn't sit comfortable with you, you'd say it to me and vice versa. Someone was writing something the other day that they'd interpreted something I'd said in a more aggressive style than I would ever say publicly. 
Um, and I said, I won't be associated with those words. They're just not, they're not me. They're not how I portray myself either in person or in writing. So they got changed. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to manage, but I think by being cognizant to your role, your role in society, your role for the company and never bringing that into disrepute, that dare I say, I never want to end up in the front of a daily tabloid. And I never want to say something that would upset my mum. So maybe I'm just of that age or, 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 or that, um, that group that would go, I don't want to embarrass anyone in these places. I'm fine to talk passionately about the disruption in our industry or how we can change things or how we can move things forward. But there's no need to be rude or swear or unkind or whatever else. We can do it without all that sort of stuff quite easily. So, so I think that's really, really good advice. Um, do you feel like uh, in the insurance industry, there's lots of brand employees that that are just scared to to go on social media because of that, or do you think it's do you think it's changing significantly and and people are just being sensible? I think it is changing, and I think the last year has been a real positive way of engaging in different ways. When you've not been able to physically go and see someone, grab a coffee. If you're walking around Lime Street in London or you're in Manhattan or wherever else and you bump into your insurance or financial services client, because often you'd bump into them in a coffee shop. You can't walk down the streets of London without bumping into four or five different insurers in, in one simple, you know, short walk. I now know why you could spend the whole day in the coffee shop. <laughs> Honestly. You bump into all of your clients. Honestly, <laughs> dare I say it's old-fashioned styles and old-fashioned tools, but... You also, you also manage to get a, more than 1,800 steps in a day. That's a different conversation. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> it, but, but I think it's really important. I think if you look at some of the numbers that I saw when I said Deloitte, specifically for March and the uptick that they had from engagement of content online, and that was across consulting, advisory, tax, every single facet. I think our um, advisory and um tax team did an outstanding job of partnering up and putting those coffee conversations or putting that, you know, lift to meeting room type conversation online and express opinion has been fantastic. And the uptick they got was without sharing the numbers, but multiple hundreds of percent increase in engagement because we still want the opinion. I still want to know what Sarah is thinking or what Tim's thinking. Mm. I just can't get it because I'm not meeting you once a week or once a fortnight or bumping into you on the project. So there's a, there is a desperate cry out in my mind for, I'm going to use the word expert, I'm not a fan of the word expert, but expert opinion on things that matter to those individuals. You know, it could be the regulator in the US or UK has come out with a new um, regime or update to a policy. Well, what's XYZ's interpretation to that? What would it mean to my industry? How does it affect me? And that can be put into a series of tweets or a LinkedIn post or a parcel post or or many other things that are out there that you start to get those opinions and feedback quite quickly. Yeah, we've got we have actually got a point here from uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you can't correct me because you can't talk to us. So I'm really sorry if I get it wrong. Priya Ranjan, who said, hi, Nigel. I don't know if you know this person. How do you keep your inquisitiveness alive day after day and maintain the motivation for yourself and your team? A great, so great, great question. My, my motivation is tr truly back to making insurance lovable. I, and I genuinely, I'm not going to rest till we get more people excited by it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, it might be a long ride. I get it. Um, 
Once, once I get a tweet from Tim saying, I love insurance now, Nigel, I'd be happy. In fact, one of my colleagues said to me the other day, maybe I'll just like it, le- not like it as, not like it as much as I don't today or something like that. So <laughs> we'll get to progress. But my motivation for is we have so much opportunity to go. We've learned from retail experiences where you can do click and it's at your house in a couple of hours. We've moved almost every industry where we transact on a regular basis to this digital medium. But insurance is typically in the retail world, an annual policy or in the commercial world, you know, you've got professional risk buyers. I just think in a world where we manufacture nothing. And I started my career in manufacturing, so in IT for a manufacturing environment where you saw physical goods going in one end and finished products coming out the other. We manufacture data. So my motivation is how do we tell that narrative better that allows you to live a healthier, longer, safer life going forward? And if we can get that to more people, then I think that's a, a great opportunity. Um, motivating the team is, it, to me, it's the same way. We have probably the best capability in the world around you know, uh, machine learning, data, intelligence, and all those things. By working with our clients to apply that to the things that they've got today to get a better outcome for the customer, what's there not to like? And that was the same in any organization that I've worked at. It's almost how do we bring the power of our organization, whether it's execution capability in Pune or Hyderabad or the UK, whether it was building businesses and bringing together, I've talked about this before, my my previous role felt like I was Iron Man. I'm a big Marvel fan, as you can see from the Lego characters up up that side. Um, And I always think it was the Avengers, because if you wanted the team, you just go bring more people. And you bring experts that were great at advisory or, or audit or consulting or technology. So that whole teamwork of bringing all those folks together was what got, got me out of bed in the morning, got me excited. I've kind of got a vision in my head. I, th- I think instead of that Peloton mug, you need like I love insurance mug. I think I need to get you on, Nigel, to send it I've to swapped. me. I've swapped. <laughs> Look, you talk about building communities, Matthew and the team, uh, and Robert at Instead London, after my last podcast, sent me a, uh, a lovely mug with my face on it, which gets no end of laughs in the household. They go, God, I'm drinking out of daddy's mug again. Yeah. <laughs> I just think you should have the T-shirt and everything. I love insurance. I make insure. If you need a hashtag or something, or, you know, I, I kind oh. of feel like you need to build a campaign around this. <laughs> Sarah, there might be a present in the post for you very soon. And it's not going to be a campaign, but it might be a, a running T-shirt that says, make insurance more lovable. I love it. I, I was talking to years back. I was talking to the Chartered Insurance Institute about, and and they were saying about people not reading their insurance contracts until something goes wrong. And obviously, you know, that's um, that's maybe the sort of normal consumer. And uh, Candy Crush was really big at the time, so they, they were speaking to me and saying, "Well, how can we gamify getting people to read a bloody insurance contract?" And like we were talking about how to mesh Candy Crush with insurance terms and stuff like that i mean i'm sure that you've probably got some amazing thoughts about how to take something that people don't normally do and integrate it into you know some kind of gamification it's an interesting one i've asked this question many times on stage about who's read their policies uh, and in a room of 300 insurance professionals i will probably be able to count usually on both hands the number of people that have actually read their, their wording end to end there's a couple of issues with it. Never mind the reading of it. It's actually the understanding of it. So I've actually, um, one of my passions outside cycling, cakes and insurance is actually education. 
And I, I've got this big belief that my kids will come out of school learning all the things in maths that we, we probably don't need or I haven't remembered, dare I say, and, and lots of other stuff. But can they change a bike tyre? Can they change a tyre on a car? Can they change a plug? Do they know what a bank account's for? What's compound interest? We probably know that one. Um, and what's <laughs> policy for? Because I think we've got, unless you're a, a mature, educated, or trained risk buyer, no one really knows what they're buying. So you can read 10, 20, 30, 90 pages of insurance contracts, but unless you understand it and know all the relations and dependencies, what difference does it make? So dare I say, people of our age, you know, 25 to 30, um, will, will buy based on brand. But the next generation might buy a policy that's 30 pages long for an hour or for a day. So I've got a great example where I was declined a claim on my travel policy. It was a 70 pound policy, premium travel policy. I read the key facts, which is what most people will go and do because they're easy to understand and they're laid out clearly because they're told to do it in that way. But my claim was denied on page 103. I can assure you I didn't read to 100 page, page 103. And on appeal, I got some money back from the insurer and they said that's a fair comment to make. Thank you very much. But I think things like that don't help our industry. They definitely don't make it more lovable. So, so I've worked with clients all over the years to go, well, what is it we need to do to make these things easier to consume, easier to understand, and almost put the trust back into the thing that we want? If you think about it, what is it? Nine in 10 people will never actually call their insurer throughout the year if you think one in 10 claim. So you're trying to create a great experience for someone that's never going to use you. It's quite, it's quite a difficult thing. And then for, those, for that one in 10 that do, you've got to make it easy to do straightforward, validate the claim and make sure it's not fraudulent because the amount of fraud that goes on in the industry still is mind boggling. Um, and we've all seen the scams during lockdown, whether it's a, you know, a postal scam to go pay money in here, whatever else. We're behind all of those things somewhere as an insurance policy, whether it's cyber or otherwise, to make sure businesses can still continue, can still run. So for me, it's about narrative, telling that story, making things easy to consume, and educating people along the way. And these all go in, a, in a, almost an unplanned sequence of events over time to get people more happy, more comfortable, more conscious about what they're buying in the first place. I think it's a massive challenge, isn't it? And you were talking about uh, creating community because like, uh, you seem to be on a, a personal crusade, uh, which is very um, like an amazing uh, mission and, and vision for the, how do you bring people with you? You've obviously got the InsureTech so podcast. Um, you know, how are you building community so that you can like create a movement? Yeah, it's, it's actually um, my old uh, managing partner for the, the team at Deloitte always said to me, be part of the community, don't just serve it. And it's a lovely phrase that really embedded into my mantra or ethos. And I've always felt like as part of the community, this isn't a personal crusade, making sure it's lovable feels like my personal crusade, but there's so much out there. There's four and a half thousand startups in the insure tech space alone, Never mind FinTech, four and a half thousand. There's 30 plus billion dollars invested in this space. There's a lot of people um, who have got personal, personal capital, actual capital invested in changing a centuries old industry 
for the better for consumers, for retailers, for commercial customers. It's not it's not a one man battle. It really is a um, you are in the you are in the Marvel superheroes and Avengers platform where you've got lots of people around you. You know, you talked about James York earlier. Um, there's people that are attacking every single part of the value chain of insurance, whether it's the bit and distribution up front, which is the easier part, then there's been lots of disruption in that space, whether it's claims or underwriting, or whether it's pricing and actuarial. But someone's passionate about all those things. So you it's net, you know, in the last 10 years, I can safely say I have never once felt alone. There's always someone else to go to that back to writing, you can go, hey, how are we gonna fix this? It's fundamentally broken. We can make it one percent better. 10% better or make it a moonshot. What would, if we were going to start from scratch, what would it look like with a, with a blank sheet of paper? So there's some great, there's some great people out there to go work alongside with and partner up to go change it together. Mm -hmm. oh. There's a, there's a question I've got in my head, which I, it's completely not relating to what you've just been talking about, but I'm intrigued because I've seen your cakes on Twitter and I am a baker myself. So I, I just can't not go there. Sorry, Tim. I just, <laughs> <laughs> the insinuation was I wasn't keen. I'm, I'm very happy to go there. I'm just yeah. not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I do, you know, you're not on Instagram. You mentioned it earlier, and that's quite a visual platform for sharing cake pictures. Um, and there's a, there's a massive baking community on there. Was, is that <sighs> a is that a conscious decision not going on Instagram or? Well, so for work, I'm not on Instagram. Personally, I follow my my stream is usually cars. Um, <laughs> fitness or cakes or dare I say just food in general so people like Joe Wicks is either exercise I mean it's it's honestly it's just always looks great I've always had a sweet tooth which is great and there's probably not many weekends that have not gone by where we've just whipped up a Victoria sponge or you know I love I love baking with the kids the kids love getting involved uh, again you know whether it's licking the bits of the mixer they shouldn't be mixing because I mean, we keep saying salmonella and all that sort of stuff but it's just a great way of getting involved. We've tried loads of stuff. Like everyone, I'm sure we've made banana bread. We've done all the things that happened during lockdown. And they've been generally good fun. And we've gone back to, we've tried lots. We've made pizza and everything else. It's great for the kids to see. It's great for the kids to get involved with. It's the only reason I do the exercise, to be fair. Otherwise, I'd be the size of the house. Um, but but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, it's back to being human. You know, there's so many people out there that I've met that enjoy recipes. Danielle, for example, posted something um, a while back about kombucha. Now, I've never tried making kombucha, and I think her sister said, Nigel, here's the recipe. Now, her sister's big into cycling and everything else. So you start to branch out quickly to go, actually, there's, there's things that are relatable to other individuals that will bring or create those connections that we can't do as we're walking into coffee shops or elsewhere. So for me, those are... As I said, fitness, cycling, um, insurance, obviously, baking, and so much more. But it's it creates much joy, and everyone loves eating the cakes. I mean, I, what, I can't remember what I made last week. I made something, and everyone goes, "I'm not going to eat that." I made I made a pineapple upside down cake. Oh, that was in a recipe. I felt like hyacinth bouquet. For anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, go and look up hyacinth bouquet, and you have a good laugh. But actually, I got a recipe uh, from a friend, looked it up. I said to everyone, I'm going to make this. Everyone went, what are you doing that for? I'm not going to eat that. It went in a heartbeat. It was a massive hit, and everyone loved it. So no doubt I've been asked to make it again, which we will. Um, but it's been great fun. It's been really good. And it's a nice it's a nice way of saying, hey, see the human side of Nigel. It's not all just about 
technology, insurance, or or cycling, or whatever else. Yeah, but I surely, think you surely can... you link, link cake to digital innovation. Surely you've just... made that connection. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say exactly the same. <laughs> it's got to be. I have an article I wrote a few years back, and James always gives me um, grief for it, and it's called "We Have All the Ingredients, But We Just Want Cake." Yeah, and I'll explain yeah. it. Really, I'll explain it really quickly. In that insurance, as individuals. We've all got individual products. We've got ingredients. We don't walk into our coffee shop and say, give me um, flour, eggs, water, blueberries, and a muffin case. We walk in and say, give me, can I have a, a blueberry muffin? And I think insurers have done a really good job of innovation inside a product, but we, we make the customers do all the baking. And I'm saying, actually, I think we have all the ingredients, but we just want cake. Just to cap it off, I did finish off the article with another one, a follow-up that was called, um, is loyalty the icing on the cake? So I do try and bring them all back together again, back to where I spend my time. So and again, it's got a good way of actually putting things like value-added services, i.e. icing on the cake, while those things that link it all back together again. And it makes, it, it makes the story more interesting and easier to tell for me, at least. But wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't you say that the, um, I'm trying to sort of uh, find some of the message and inspiration for people that might not naturally jump into social media. And I think, uh, am I right in saying that because you can blend your personal life and your passions with your job, you can be in social media and you can fuel business and your personal passions. Whereas other people might see social media as, oh, I've got to do some, you know, put out a business message. So they're not, so their passion is not driving their content and they'll probably stop if they don't get the engagement. Whereas, the passion is driving your social media engagement and that's driving the global community that you have so that it works right because of that it, it does but i think we all know especially on this group and people tuned in now this is not an overnight i'm going to start on social and tomorrow you've built a huge following or whatever it might be i've been writing predictions annual predictions for the last six years and every year i mark my own homework and say how well i've done was I brave enough the year before, whatever else? And I thought, it's actually a good reflection moment for me, you know, November, December time each year to go, well, how well did I do? What's happening next year? And they're based on client conversations, partner conversations, just what we're seeing on the industry and how far we can start to push them. So um, whether it's going for a walk with family or on your own or taking the dog for a walk, I think you can find inspiration in everything that you do to then go back and say, actually, what is it that I enjoy doing that I can then relate back to my world? If it's if I was all just insurance, 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 I'm sure someone would turn around and say, that's very dull, I'm, I'm going to switch off now. Or maybe they do, actually. Or, <laughs> or they're just tuning in for that bit and nothing else. But it's about, you know, we for years have talked about in every, in every organization I work for, bring your whole self to work. This really is my way of saying, I'm going to bring my whole self to um to, to the social channels and only feeling comfortable sharing what you what you want to. As I said, I've got an Instagram account and I've got pictures of the kids and stuff like that on there for Facebook, but they're private. They're private because I'm not prepared or don't want to personally share pictures of my family in that way. My wife's on there and I'm on there. You know, my wife's a photographer, so she shares lots of different stuff. So it just has to be what's right for you and what you're comfortable doing. It's one, one man or one woman's view of good is someone else's too much or too little. Um, so just, you, you've got to start somewhere, I think. And that's the key thing for me is, you know, if my advice to people wanting to get into this was, where do I start? It's 
start with what you're passionate about and start with where you're comfortable. And over time, you know, I even said at the beginning, I get nervous about these sorts of things because I never know what the questions are. I haven't prepared it because you haven't sent me a list of, we're going to talk about these seven questions in this order. Um, and you just need to be the right ambassador for you as an individual, for your organization, whatever else that you, you choose to be. But if you're yourself, I think it's a, it's a, it's a as the old saying go be yourself everyone else is taken right yeah i remember um it reminds me actually of this guy at sap who who i can't remember his name now i think he's moved on but he used to um he used to love albums and 80s rock bands and and he used to take the lyrics from the songs and he used to tie them back to technology and it was a, it was a fascinating thing to do and it always made me think it's like wow inspiration are in the most strangest of places and i see your blogs you've got a lot of pictures of cakes if you see my blogs there's lots of pictures of donuts and i know amazon as well she's responsible for that um <laughs> but i i also wonder whether you know your predictions about watching minority report which i can't believe was 20-ish years ago but you know you could write some content around that couldn't you it's a, that is fascinating like looking back at that and showing our kids and relating your movies into your content it's oh, it comes from everywhere i mean i mm. the the community outside I, the other thing i would say about the community actually is where wherever you choose to engage i always worry about echo chambers you know how do we make sure we're not stuck in blinkers of you've only just seen x and i love engaging with other people um, and following other people, making sure I'm not just purely in the insurance technology and nothing else, because that would be, or that could be perceived to be blinkered to what else is going on in the world. So I follow lots of stuff around technology in general. Um, my wife's a huge movie fan, so we follow the, the, the British film festivals and all that sort of stuff. And seeing all these things that you wouldn't normally see, for me, brings in other perspectives that you then think to yourself, oh, what can I learn from that? How does that apply to my world? And that's true about whether it's, you know, in London or the US or Australia, understanding how different markets and cultures work. There's so much out there. Um, it's just really nice to always be learning. And I think that's a really, a really nice point to be. To, don't be close to any of this. There's multiple ways to, to, to look at these things. And that's what I love doing is taking, you know, what's Danielle? Danielle and I started out about the same sort of time. Um, I saw your stuff around uh, uh, Christine and, and Team GP. I, I love seeing Louise Minchin going for a Team GP aged, you know, run a duathlon and a triathlon. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I find that really inspirational. What can I do to bring that into my own world to go, how is that going to set me a goal to then do something later? I'm, I'm dare I say, I'm quite goal orientated. So whether it's being on the bike every day to get my, my little blue box on the, um, on the peloton or fasting every day or now drinking enough water, all these all these micro habits, James Clear, and if you've come across uh, James Clear and um, uh, the book around habits, it's about the really interesting things where you start to get these micro changes you can make to be better than you were before. And I think that's for me, my, my motivation is I've tried lots of, dare I say, I've always struggled with things like weight, for example. So it's always been up and down, probably because of the cakes, not the correlation. Yeah. But, not the smartest tool in the box, as you can tell. But, but actually, how can I start to balance all these things in a different way? And I think the pandemic, again, has allowed you to sit back in some cases, take stock of what you want to do, and then apply that journey, and then share that journey with other people to hold you accountable. So one of my friends yesterday, Sharon online, posted, hey, I'm doing a ride at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Would you like to join? All welcome. Back to this fit fam I showed you earlier. And um, 
had it not been for her tweet last night and me seeing it, I would have been in front of the TV watching Dan and Louise first thing this morning, um, just consuming the news. But I got out of bed, set the alarm and jumped on the bike at seven o'clock. And I feel so much better for it. So yeah. it's, it's almost that group think that allows you to hold yourself accountable in different ways. And that's, that's community, that's online friends. And there's nothing more I'd love to do and go and share a, a coffee in real life, you know, in, in real life with those people going, hey, thanks for keeping me sane over the last, over the last year. Because we've all been through different experiences, I think, and it's been nice to be able to engage with people in, in that way. Yeah, I think, I think the yeah, I mean, you really bring a lot of positive energy in a in a time where a lot of people are feeling a bit sort of down in the dumps. So I was I was really interested. You built up, you know, around about forty three thousand sort of direct followers across Twitter and LinkedIn. Obviously, that's just first network. It's 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 going to be shared, uh, you know, much wider from that. Um, I noticed you talked about Passol, you know, to publish your content. It would be great to understand a bit of, a bit about whether you use any kind of publishing platform or any automation, or whether it's all your own content and and timings, you know, in the day. Because you're you're working for Google North America, aren't you? That's right. So I'm I'm, I'm working North, North America hours. Um, so you, your first question. So Passol again, back to a really um, charismatic, positive, passionate individual that shared some of the same passions I did. So David Kirk, who's now moved on from the organization, big cyclist, literally like six foot seven, I think, um, loves running, super fit, always engaged online, loved what he did, loved the idea behind Passo, which he used that in, inside Deloitte and many others. But it was a great way to get I think we started with something like 20 authors and now is up to the multiple hundreds because it's easy to use, easy to engage and add commentary to articles or anything else that are out there. It also gave the firm the ability to review the cycle to make sure back to the approval process to make sure we would fall within the right guardrails. So the firm did a really good job of working together with Passon in that instance. I'm a big fan of what they've done. Um, do I use any tools? I'd use things like Buffer now and then or scheduling tools. Uh, we've got some stuff internally that we use for scheduling stuff. I'm almost in a love-hate debate with it, though, and I can't I can't work out what side of the fence I sit. I don't mind scheduling stuff if I've got too many things to say all at once. I mean, I'm, if you follow my habits on a Sunday morning, I get up first thing before the Sunday pyramids on the Peloton, and I read the Sunday Times. And often you'll see me just post articles from the Times to go, I've just read this, this is really interesting. But I look back and I go, oh, I've just tweeted eight things or eight articles and then nothing for nine hours because I'm then spending time with the kids or whatever else. So times like that, you do think, actually, this is this could be scheduled. It could be used in a different way. Um, or you could say, this is really important. I must schedule it now. So I am I haven't worked out the right answer to automation. There are things that you could use for scheduling, which I do use now and then. Um, and then the hours of the day is a really interesting one. I mean, I think there's folks out there that can say, how do you turn one piece of content into 20 or 30 different things? So, you know, doing a podcast or a live stream like this, we promoted it in advance. We'll share it afterwards. Hopefully people will, will watch back in it. They'll come back to me, ask me questions or ask you guys questions. It's just how you make the most out of all those things. And you break it down into individual parts that are then bite sized for everyone to use. So, I'm not sure a straight answer on that one. I, I feel the authentic Nigel wants to do everything myself, but I, I also know that's not scalable. Hmm. But your blogs are written by you, though, aren't they? I can hear the tone of voice in there. 
all the mistakes, all the spelling errors, which is why I have Emma review them, are written by me. All the exclamation marks and the full stops and the two spaces after the full stops are me. <laughs> and I get told about it all the time. So, in fact, actually, you know what? I, I've released so many over the years. I love when people come back and go, hey, you've got a typo over here, either public or private. I find that as a term of endearment. I saw one the other day for a friend, and I said, hey, you spelt this wrong. I did it in private. Um, because if that was me, I'd like them to say the same thing about my stuff. So they, they are all mine. I've been involved with a whole host of um, folks that have written stuff or taken quotes from me and turned those into things over the years. But all the blogs are mine. I probably have at any one time 10 or 20 draft articles that are in my mind that I've just started writing down thoughts um, that are half finished or in bullet point form that need to come out at some point when I've got time to go hey, I want to go talk about quantified self. And that's a, a big one for me now is with, with a year of data out of my exercise, my heart rate, my blood tests that I do on a quarterly basis, what do I now know about Nigel that I can make sure I'm around for longer for my kids to annoy them for as long as possible? So there's loads, there's loads <laughs> of things like that that I want to start putting on paper and building out over time. Uh. <laughs> Well, it's about, I don't know where you get the energy from, but I, actually I do. It's all the cakes. So cakes and cycling uh, basically equals social media energy. Probably if there was a mathematical equation that, that you could have learned at school, um, which would have been the, you know, wrapping it back to the education element. But uh, uh, yeah, we probably have to we probably have to go soon. I mean, we could we could speak for hours. Um, you're on this, and uh, you're really really good to meet you, Nigel. I, I think I think you've just given so much. Uh, you know, education to our audience, and 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 also you're turning. I think when we work in tech, then the more um, boring the product is perceived, but not. But the more you can turn the outcome into really something interesting and fascinating is a is a good place to work. Because if you're selling holidays to to, to the Maldives or something like that, it's actually quite hard to innovate or to write content about that because it's. It's too interesting. Honestly, um. <laughs> I, I, I think to your point and to Sarah's point, everyone's passion. Everyone's passionate about something, and if we can bring that out through the channels that we currently or that we choose to engage on, you know, whether it's Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook or anything else that's out there, just be yourself. And if you can be yourself, then people will either engage with you on those topics or they won't. But you will find your own. You will find your own niche and audience over time. You know, my kids play Minecraft. I have absolutely no understanding of it whatsoever. I can't get my head around it, but you can go online and find videos of people watching other people playing Minecraft. I'm like, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't. They've got books out the library and they're finding monsters and portals and things. I have no idea. Um, my view is that you'll, you'll get to this, Tim. Maybe they've moved on to something else when your kids are a bit older. But, you know, the whole pixelated thing, that's what I was doing in the 80s on a BBC Acorn computer. Why would you want to do that now when you can get like video? I'm getting on my soapbox now, but Nigel, I'm with you. So and look, <laughs> as long as they're safe, as long as they're happy, as long as they're enjoying yes. themselves in the right, in the right mix, that's great. And there's so much to learn from all these things. And I, I look at that back to learning experience. I look at, look at those and go, what can I learn about why they're creating things in blocks? And it brings me back to my Sim City days when I was watching Nightwire and whatever else to go, how do we, it hasn't moved on all this time, but it's really interesting to watch and, and then try and build a story. I haven't yet built a Minecraft insurance story. Maybe there's one there. <laughs> yeah, but I, I imagine. I, I just, I, I was going to um, uh, just say, um, 
so to wrap this up, but I just, you mentioned something earlier on that I was really fascinated to ask. Are Google doing anything with Clubhouse? And if so, what would you, what would you kind of advise brands to do on Clubhouse, if anything? Yeah, so, so, for, so for clarity, I'm, I am definitely an employee of Google, not a spokesperson for Google. Uh, and I also uh, work in Google Cloud. Uh, you'll find many of our employees participating uh, in rooms in Clubhouse, for example, uh, and some amazing experts. So back to people that are passionate about what they do, you will find people talking about Kubernetes or uh, GKE or loads of other things that are where people go to go and learn these things way over my head. Um, but it's back to being yourself in each one of those places. Again, I said, as I said, I wouldn't post something online or say something physically that would bring my brand, my personal reputation, or the firm's brand into disrepute at any time. And, and all firms I've worked for over the years have always had guardrails in place to protect um, the employee first and foremost, and the company, you know, there, there afterwards. So there are got there are uh, guidelines that every company I've worked for has published to say these are the things you can and and can't and can't do, and these are the things you shouldn't shouldn't do. But they're all back to being ourselves. I mean, so are you are you encouraging people to host rooms, or is it just really an organic, just join the rooms you want, participate? I, I'm I'm working with us. So I'm on I'm on a team myself, for example, where I uh, co-host spaces with with individuals around the insurance industry itself. And for me, it's about the industry topics and the areas that I'm passionate about. So the folks that are engaged engage in multiple different ways. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Well. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Nigel. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, and for anyone um, uh, listening there, you can get uh, some additional uh, employee advocacy interviews on the Onlytic and Tribal website under our resources section. So um, thank you again, Nigel. Yeah, thank you, Nigel. It was fascinating. Thank yeah. you so much. I'll see you on Strava, Sarah, okay? No, no, yes, no, 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 no I'm, on, I'm on Strava. So see you there. <laughs> yep. And I'll, I'll try and post a Victoria Sponge photo on Instagram and try and tag you or something like that. That would be a win. If you just put the initials S for Sarah and N for Nigel in icing on the top, that is exactly. a win. Sarah. I will try. I'm in. Brilliant. Thank you, Nigel. That's funny. <clears throat>